Hello and welcome back to the Geeks at the Gates. We have the continuation this week of last week's discussion as four middle-aged guys, except for, well, three and three and Aiden, who insists he's not middle-aged. Four guys sit around and discuss what's what in sci-fi and geekdom, focusing largely on Star Wars, Star Trek and Doctor Who. Before we get into that though, just a couple of things. And that's not the only science news. No, indeed. This is perhaps a little bit more perturbing, depending on your point of view. Um, this week we learned that the United States Navy has got actual ray guns that can shoot things down. Yep, not even kidding. It's not quite Buck Rogers, not yet. Uh, what they have is a ship-mounted weapon, um, a, a, a laser of undisclosed power, um, that all the journals say about 150 kilowatts, uh, which has successfully shot down a drone target. Yeah, I know, weird one, uh, but potentially what we have is a gun that never runs out of ammo and could be solar powered, so it's green. So yeah, there's that. And that's it for the science news. So, without further ado, let's get back to four grumpy blokes telling people to get off their lawn. The Mandalorian was was interesting in the in the, in the format that they chose. Uh, in that, it, it was it was much more episode of the week. Uh, mm. than, than an overriding story arc. Of course, it did have an overriding story arc with Baby Yoda. But the uh, the idea, it felt a little bit, there was an element of the X-Files there. Um, at, at, its, at its cheesiest, it was a little bit Highway to Heaven. Uh, it was a little mm -hmm. bit Kung Fu. Mm -hmm. uh, David Carradine, that kind of thing. And I thought that balance was, was, was quite good, actually. So you had like the first two and perhaps the last two that brought back in that overarching mythos of the story uh, but i thought it was very interesting that that, that, that they were trying to uh, uh broaden out and make it more episodic i didn't necessarily like it but i thought it was interesting i found it very interesting the fact that the mandalorian is probably one of the the current tv shows that i've watched that is only a plot there's no b plot in it whatsoever um yeah, no even an a plot <laughs> <laughs> no but normally in in like in any TV show, you've got you know, you've got your hero doing their thing, and then maybe like the last scene or something like that like, cuts uh, to somebody else trying to save a planet, and Data on the side is learning how to tell a joke. That kind of thing. yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Or you know, you've got somebody off you know learning how to to better themselves by you know playing the trombone or something. Or yeah, you've you've there's always like something like even going back to Community, there's always at least like two or three plots happening in an episode. Brooklyn Nine Nine kind of does the same thing as well. You've always got like two or three kind of story beats happening throughout the same thing. But like, if you go to Buffy as well, especially the season that's where you've got the mayor as as the main villain, you yeah. would cut away from what Buffy was doing, and then you'd come back to the mayor's story, and you'd show him like evolving that's, a bit more to, really to build. That might be why I'm really struggling with that because I don't. It's one, it's not an interesting story, and two, it's not cutting away to anything more interesting. Yeah? No, and I and I think that's the one thing that the Mandalorian kind of falls down on is they introduce the big bad in the last episode. And suddenly, just like, who is this guy? We know nothing about him. If there'd been a little bit more of an introduction to him through the series, where you just saw this guy doing other stuff, 
and then suddenly you go, oh, right, this is actually linked together. Yeah, um, true. But it the Mandalorian have, it played it so safe, though, uh, yeah. for, that, for that first series. They obviously sunk a ton of money into it. I very much That's approve right. of that new uh, filming technique that they're using as well with the in-camera projection. Oh, I had no, I had no idea how they were doing those stuff until I saw. Oh, those, and it's those it's sets are incredible, yeah. brilliant. Yeah, it works so well. It looks so much better than green screen. It the does. The light behaves correctly. It looks like a set. It's, I thought that was a really clever move. It does. I, um, honestly, I when I first read that that had all been filmed on a soundstage, mm. I li- I genuinely, yeah. simply did not believe it. No, I didn't. Oh, even the, when they're in the desert, are you saying that's also the, the, the big yes. screen? Yeah, the, majority, the whole thing yeah. was filmed indoors. If you go on, if you go on to Disney Plus now, they've started a new series. It's it's an episode a week, which is the basically it's the DVD extras of how they've made the Mandalorian. Links in the show notes. How, you can see how they've done it, and it is utterly incredible. Essentially, if you haven't seen it, Aiden, basically they've got a very small area of physical. No, 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 set. Sorry, I have seen it. I know how they did it because it's the same uh, technique used on. Um, they used it in First Man as well to do the space sequences. But I think what's different is that they're doing, as you guys have said, they're doing the whole thing on that, mm, where, yeah. where instead of just using it for a few shots. Well, it's, it's old like, school technology that's been up that it's that it's been updated, but the, but the but the purpose for what it was originally used for is still there, and I think it works just as effectively. What's that, James Cameron doing reprojection through exactly. you know, in, in, in Aliens and, and everything? Perfect yeah. example. Perfect. Are we? Yeah. Are we? So I don't know. I can't tell if we're in agreement or not. Are we in agreement that? It's a showrunner problem, effectively. Uh, what with, no. with all of Star Wars, or just the Mandalorian? I think well across the board because we're sort of saying. I think Picard. Like we're agreeing that they've they've done something right with the Mandalorian that's appeased fans, and that maybe a lot of the other issues are just bad writing and playing it safe and all that. I I think for the majorities of it might be showrunner. I think I'm, I think Chris Chibnall is doing is trying to do a good job with Doctor Who. But I think maybe is is getting hampered either by budget or or maybe by interference from from the BBC. I think Picard failed possibly due to showrunner because they I mean they picked Akiva Goldsman uh, as one of the showrunners for that. And I think Akiva Goldsman is this is a horrible thing to say. He's screenwriting cancer. He is just one of the worst people. Hey, that guy won an Oscar. I know, and that's uh, yeah, it really bugs me. <laughs> Lots of people um, have won Oscars. That's yeah, exactly. Yeah, but then like. Uh, the Watchmen TV show, they and it was Damon oh. Lindelof was behind that, and I was I was adamant that it was going to be terrible because Damon Lindelof I don't think is a good writer either. It was superb. I, I actually said that Damon Lindelof is the new Akiva Goldsman, and he's terrible. But I'd now have to eat very humble pie because Watchmen is probably oh, the best Watchmen TV was show. Excellent. I've seen. Yeah. Lindelof has clearly learned from his mistakes because yeah. I, I watched a bit of the Leftovers, and that looked really good. And from what I've heard, it stayed. It's with it's me. meant. To be, I've not seen it, but it's meant to be absolutely. So it amazing. sounds like he's got. Stung on Lost and Star Trek into Darkness. Yeah. And swallowed some humble pie. And Prometheus and, and, and everything else he's worked on, yeah. But then but will that happen to Kennedy? Will Kennedy go go I've done something wrong here and he's changed track? I hope so. I just I well, she, she, she keeps I just she keeps trying to change track though, and uh and it just doesn't work. And I and I think that 
that is also an issue with the fan base of Star Wars now as well. Absolutely. Uh, think, the, th the way that we consume Star Wars is so different to, to the way we did in 77. I think it probably is a show on a thing, because I fell out of love with The Walking Dead. And I, I'm, I've read, I mean, as Reg can testify, I've read so many issues of The Walking Dead comic book, and it's, it's amazing. But the TV show just got to be so plodding, and was getting, it was getting to, like, so... It kind of always of was, Steve. Depression. It was... It was like that from the end of series two onwards. It was dull. But it got worse, and it got to the point where something That's happened. That's why I stopped in, watching it. Something happened in one episode. Boring. I, I was bored by the end of season one, so... A character, yeah, got, kid a character got kidnapped in one episode, and you thought, oh my God, so, yeah, there's, there's going to be like a lot of drama. And basically, by the end of that episode, they'd been released, and nothing had changed from the start of the episode to the end. It was a completely pointless episode. But the way, the way they I released said, information as well was that we'd already seen what had happened, and the characters spent the entire episode talking about events that we'd already seen. Yeah, but then, after I stopped watching it, they got a new showrunner, and now, apparently, it's amazing. It is full-on horror TV show. It is meant to be one of the most psychologically terrifying TV shows. And I'm kind of thinking maybe I should go back in and just catch up, you know, miss a season and then just start watching it after the... Basically, it's had a soft reboot, I think, by the sounds of it. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm tempted to, to start picking it up again. Um, There's a rumour I'm bashing about now that there's a civil war happening within the Star Wars production crew with Kennedy on one side. And Favreau on the other, sort of fighting. Interesting. I was now. I don't know if that's true. I'm afraid I have to back Favreau. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Says, um, ooh, where is it? The ongoing battle over Lucasfilm direction continues. Kennedy and Favreau factions fighting over the studio. It's also hard to lose sight of how many projects Kennedy has seen fail at Lucasfilm: Star Wars Resistance, Force of Destiny, Galaxy of Adventures, Solo, and the sequel trilogy failing in revenue with each release. While Favreau seemingly struck it out of the park with The Mandalorian, a series for Disney+, Plus that even Bob Iger was given creative suggestions for. Now, there is some things wrong with that statement. Like, saying that the sequel's lost revenue on each release does gloss over the fact that two of those films were absolutely massive. Yeah. Uh, but it's interesting, and it does make you think, like... Because I, I, I don't watch the animated shows, but I'm aware that fans really regard... Is it Dave Filoni? Is that is the guy's name? Yes, yeah, he did the Clone Wars and he did Rebels and, yeah. he's, and he's got involvement with Mandalorian as well. It seems like he's got quite a good, maybe because he's a fan himself, he's quite well connected or has a good instinct for what the fans really like. And I wonder if he'll get promoted, not necessarily to Kennedy's position, but it does feel like maybe they'll go, you should write a film, let's see what you can do. Do you know what I mean? Um, and Favreau actually is a film guy anyway. So it'll be interesting to see if, like, maybe they get elevated. Well, this is the thing. Like, I mean, obviously, Favreau is essentially responsible for the MCU as well as Kevin Feige. Yeah, he obviously <laughs> did the first, the first Iron Man and, and Iron Man Two, and he's been an executive producer on all the Avengers movies. So he's had his his DNA in those films from from the start, really, as well. And I think he clearly knows the bigger picture and, and uh, doing yeah, it. And I, I think agree. that's maybe what he needs to, to get in that moment. If they turn around got and said, his finger much more on the pulse than, uh, than Kennedy. If they said, keep, keep Kennedy as the, the, the head of Lucasfilm, but she employs Favreau as the, the star Wars showrunner. Mm. Absolutely fine. And then employs, I don't know, somebody else as the Indiana Jones showrunner. Absolutely fine. Did you hear Boba Fett's just been confirmed for Mandalorian season two? I have I, I have, yeah. but I'm, I'm hoping it's literally going to be a, it's, it's one episode and done. If they bring him well, in as a main character. I, I thought the whole point of the Mandalorian was that he is effectively a Boba Fett stand. Well, that's it, isn't it? That he is basically Boba Fett, isn't he? Um, 
But however, I read in uh, I read on Dark Horizons uh, yesterday that, uh, and I quote, "Star Wars Legend Tamora Morrison is being brought <laughs> back to play Boba Fett." Yeah, yeah. did Tamora Morrison turn into a Star Wars legend? If they said yeah, Jeremy Bullock, then good films. I'm, I'm afraid to me, he's just that blazer in that thing. Exactly, he's a great actor, but he, but like most of them, he wasn't particularly good in the prequels because it was a bad script. But to refer to him as Star Wars legend, I thought was jumping the gun a little bit. Yeah, to be fair, you call you call any of them a legend, really, wouldn't you? Just you I'd know. have gone with veteran, Star Wars veteran. Would <laughs> yeah, if you've had an action figure made of you, yeah. you're a legend. Yeah. So there you go. But I think, Avian, you're absolutely right. I think the Mandalorian is just is just Boba Fett, isn't it? You just okay, fine. There's there's some there's some details that you're missing in there, but but the characters meant to be the same thing. No, I think he's fundamentally different than Boba Fett. Actually, I mean, genuinely, I, I think he's not Boba Fett. Well, he has a, he has a character for one. Yeah, well, quite. But Boba Fett, from what we've seen of Boba Fett in the films, all eight minutes of it, and the comics which is what I'm familiar with, Fett would have turned the child over. Mm. Fett would have fulfilled the contract. Mando clearly didn't, because Mando clearly has a moral compass of some kind. Well, and he clearly seems... has been brought up by the Mandalorians, which Boba Fett hasn't. Well, quite. And it also well, seems Boba to me that, no? that Mando's clan has a kind of moral code that, me- that allows them to say, yeah, we've taken the contract, but now nah, we're not doing that. Now, now we have more information. Now we know what the package is. Nah, we're, well, yeah, we're not. Exactly. We're not. We're not taking that. We're not doing that. We're not turning that over. Uh, and Fett, good, Fett simply it's good writing. Mm. It's, it just it just comes down to good writing. Boba Fett in the original was was a was a plot device. He mm. was a cool character. He wasn't really meant to be in it, but uh, he was just really a way to get uh, well the uh, Han Solo into some kind of life or death situation and. And eventually transport him to Jabba the Hutt, but Mandal- the Mandalorian is a is a much more kind of fleshed out character. Well, he's he's the man with no name. He's Clint Eastwood. He's the master. Yeah, he's exactly. He's all of those exactly. things. So. Which, I, which again, I think is a really good move on the part of John Favreau, who understands that that a, a, a large chunk of Star Wars is Western. And that's the thing. He's gone back to the George Lucas well of going yeah. to the you know what's the what's the thing? It's it's Westerns and Japanese cinema. Let's he's go back to those. And, well, quite. He's gone back. Yeah. Best bit. He's gone back to the things that people liked in the original Star Wars. He's understood that... That rough universe. Yeah, what people liked about the original Star Wars, they liked... I mean, they may not have been aware that they liked the fact that it was a Western in space and it was a samurai movie in space, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but they've gone back to that. I mean, it is Lone Wolf and Cub. It just is. Um, And... Favreau has clearly gone, yeah, well, I know what I like in Star Wars. Let's do more of that, shall we? In a way that George Lucas clearly didn't. I think, what the, for me, what the prequels show us is that George Lucas really never understood why Star Wars was successful. The things that he thought people liked were not what people liked. No, George Lucas didn't like the fact that he was having to pay too much tax. So the first thing he came up with is the taxation of trade routes, and therefore people doing taxes bad. That's what he wanted to talk about in the first Star Wars prequel. <laughs> I see the prequel trilogy now. I, I can I can step back, and of course, yes, the power of hindsight and so on. And they are, let's face it, pretty terrible films um, by any conventional filmmaking standards. But I can look back on it now and see that Lucas uh, wanted to do this kind of quasi greek tragedy 
it was he, he wanted it something that was almost vaguely kind of Shakespearean, that it had this very dark operatic kind of sense to it. And I think that was that was actually a fairly good concept for a Star Wars trilogy. It's just Lucas didn't have the uh, the chops to pull it off. No, because he surrounded himself with yes men that just said, yeah, we'll do whatever you want. And then he made a mess of a movie and then they said, well, fix it. And then they couldn't. Right. So they Star Wars it. was a wonderful collaboration of, of hippies in San Francisco who smoked enough weed to work out what the hell they were doing <laughs> and, uh, and come up with some really interesting ideas. Whereas, you know, if, if one was to call Lucas the showrunner, I would have the same complaints about him as I, uh, as, as I do now with the people that are in charge. I do think it was very interesting that Lucas came out and said that his uh, his idea for the sequel trilogy was was going to be a lot more linked to midichlorians and uh, and the wills and this kind of stuff, like really getting into Dug that, that kind of almost. Do you not find it funny well, that the... I'm just curious to see what what that would have looked like? Do you not find it funny as, that the as biggest, a, as opposed to a remake of the first three, the biggest whiny fanboys on the internet, I think, are Star Wars fans. Probably oh, DC, gotcha. probably DC fans are a close second. We're awful but... people. But the but now George Lucas has kind of come out as one of those whiny fanboys. They didn't make the movie I wanted them to make. They didn't use my story. How dare they do this? It's like you just so the fans now kind of sound just like George do. And so I think they're siding with George Lucas, kind of going, yeah, we we don't want Ray and and her doing all the the stuff. We want we want to hear because you know, like if you make a film that is the biggest film ever made, um, and you know. And then those fans grow up. It's kind of, we've sort of touched on this in different ways, but you're going to, they're never going to be fully happy, especially if you try different things, especially if you make it about new characters. Star Trek is nowhere near as big as Star Wars by like, it's a, it's success is a fraction of what Star Wars is. But Star Trek fans have always sort of been more broadly happy with it. And maybe it's because there's less of them to get divided. Yeah, maybe. I, I think I think as well that the fact that Star Wars is it's long form storytelling rather than I, well, I say it's short form in terms of the episodes of, of, of the week, but then it's long form in terms of the episode and seasons that go on and on and on. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just Star Trek fans are just maybe a bit more patient than Star Trek. Star, Star Trek fans are more patient than Star Wars fans. Well, they are by, by the nature of, of, of the product, because there is simply more of it. Mm. And they've they they don't they don't need to become impatient. Which goes back to your point, Matt, that like they can just wait for the next episode. Yes, precisely. Rather than the next yeah. film will be three years. <clears throat> and and people who weren't terribly pleased with Picard um, can just hang on for the next iteration because we know that there there, there will be one. There'll be a series of discovery out in three months' time. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, I'm one more thing, one more new idea into the works about why things have gone wrong, particularly with Star Wars. Mm. There was three years between each film, a 77 to 83, and they've tried to make a two-and-a-half-hour epic every um, every two years. And I wonder if just it wasn't enough time, especially as, like, Abrams was brought in late for the episode nine because he actually replaced Trevor. So he probably made it in, like, about... 20 months or something yes a lot of time now i will say this isn't a problem for the mcu <laughs> they do one of these films they do two or three of these films every year and it doesn't seem to phase them which maybe suggests again it's a creative vision problem because feige roughly knows what is he roughly knows where the whole thing's headed so he can keep it on track i don't think it suggests it, aiden. it outright screams it pardon it doesn't just suggest it aiden it screams <laughs> it at the top of its voice it's clearly an issue with it because Marvel have the confidence to say, yes, we can bring out two or three films a year that will be of a quality. Um, and also, when you look at their, 
another thing that I think is worth pointing out is I don't think the MCU is, is as planned out as people might assume it is. Because often the details that are dropped into the films are really broad, do you know what I mean? Mm. And, and I think that's because Feige knows, if I drop in a reference to, say, a soul stone here, that's enough for the fans to know, ah, I think I know where he's going with this. But it is nowhere near enough to constrain who, whichever creative voice he's brought on to, say, make Doctor Strange or to make Guardians of the Galaxy. And that there you have a really nice mix of creative freedom and overall vision, which isn't sort of constricting it in any way. Well, sure. I think as well, I was listening. I was listening back to a Doctor Strange uh, spoiler podcast uh, recently, and they were basically saying that they did not write that script to set out to have the the Eye of Agamotto as a time stone. Uh, that wasn't what it was going to be at all until quite late in the day, and then suddenly it was just like, oh, by the way, you need to now bring it in that you, this is an Infinity Stone. Oh, I um, just I just assumed that 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 was all um, canon in the comic books. Mm. Nope. Oh, interesting. Not okay. in any way at all. Okay, right. Um, well, it, well, it's, fluid. it's fluid. You're allowing the creative process to flow. And then Feige's clearly at some point, or someone's thought, I can make that a time stone. It doesn't break what they've done. Yeah. Well, yeah. But it was, yeah, I think, I think uh, having just had that revelation, I think that was, that was good writing. It, it worked. It flowed. Mm. It th- seemed plausible within, within the rules of the universe. I think the genius of the Marvel films, and I... On this occasion, I'm not even using that word lightly. I think it genuinely is genius. Is it's really obvious if you if you go back and watch Iron Man. When they made Iron Man, they had absolutely no idea that it was going to take off, and they certainly had no vision for an 11-year, 22-movie cycle mm-hmm. of stories that would end with Endgame. They clearly had no conception of that when they made Iron Man. And for proof of that, watch Edward Norton's Incredible Hulk. <laughs> um, because oh. the end credit sequence has Tony Stark turning up, and it was clearly filmed a lot later and shoehorned in because at some point between the wrapping of Iron Man and the completion of post-production on Incredible Hulk, they'd seen the success that Iron Man had been. And who the hell would have predicted the success of Iron Man? I mean, my first genuine, and I've said this before on the podcast, I think genuinely my initial reaction when I first heard they were making an Iron Man movie, was, why? Because Iron Man was a, he wasn't even a, a B-lister, he was a D-lister. Nobody well, we know about Iron Man in 2008. And we know why now, because it turns out Marvel didn't have the rights to any of the characters oh, that they sure. knew would make one. I mean, they, yeah. they made a movie with the character that they had, but they went from that, and they thought, oh, right, we, we made a brilliant film that people really liked, how can we build on it? And somebody... Much like Lucas did after the release of the first movie. Yes. And yeah. somebody with vision went, right, okay, I can see where we can go now. Who else, What other characters do we have? Okay. Let's make a Captain America movie. Okay. <laughs> Again. 
I get, I, I, well, no, Captain America, for God's sake, Captain America was a D-lister. Right, of all the characters to bring to the, to, to yeah. the big screen. Captain but, America? But they made it, and they made it brilliant. And they, yeah. okay, all right, well, 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 what can it. we do? What can we do? Okay, uh, who, who else have we got? Who else have we got? Okay, we've got Thor, we've got Thor. Right, okay, let's do Thor. And they made Thor, and they made it fun. And they built it up until they had enough characters to make the Avengers. And from that point, all bets were off. It had hit critical mass. And it was off to the races. And I think the difference between the other three franchises we're talking... I mean, we barely touched on Star Trek, but the other three franchises we're talking about, Star Trek, Star Wars, Doctor Who, and the Marvel Universe, the MCU, which I think we can agree has been incredibly successful and done incredibly well. There are very few people who come out of of Marvel movies and go, that's the worst thing I've ever seen. I need to smash it to the ground. Which people do react to Doctor Who and they do react like that to Star Wars and they do react like that to Star Trek. The people who've made the films in the MCU and the people who've made the decisions about the MCU are all people who love the characters, love the source material, and understand the source material. Now, I would argue that Doctor Who is currently run by a man who loves the source mat- the original material. Chris Chibnall is a long-term fan. You can find him on Channel 4's Right to Reply in the 1980s having a massive go at Doctor Who. I agreed with every word he said. I remember watching that episode of Right to Reply. Um, (laughs) It's run by a guy who is a massive fan. He, I think the, the only issue that Chibnall has is he is a show running a doctor that a vocal portion of fandom is predisposed to object to. I disagree with this, but go on. You might not, entirely. Go on then. <laughs> and Chibs is doing exactly what Moffat and Russell T. Davis did. He's clearly making the Doctor Who stories that he's had in his head since he was 12. The difference, I would suggest, is that the stories that Rossi Davis has had in his head since he was 12 and the stories that Stephen Moffat had in his head since he was 12 are more in line with what the stories that the vast majority of Doctor Who fans have had in their heads since they were 12 are. Moffat, uh, Chibs has a very idiosyncratic vision of Doctor Who and I don't think he was ever a typical fan and I think his idea of what Doctor Who is does not chime with a lot of other fans doesn't make him much of a fan in many ways I think the problem with Chibnall is the nature of his fandom Um, tell me why I'm wrong 
I don't think the vocal minority of people who dislike the fact that it's female doctor is an issue here. And I say that mainly because I don't, I don't care that it's a female doctor. I actually think the problems that the show's had existed since the Capaldi era. And it's not Capaldi's fault, and it's not Whitaker's fault, because they're fine actors, and they've never had a problem since 2005 of casting great actors in that role. Honestly, I just think Chibnall's a bit of a hack. I don't think it's more complex than that. And I say that. I watched Broadchurch. I know a lot of people love Broadchurch. I didn't like Broadchurch. I thought it was exceptionally well cast, just drivel. <laughs> there was an, it was predictable. It was it was standard. It just happened to star David Tennant and Olivia Coleman, who are two of the best actors going. You don't need bad. You don't need um, uh, bad actors to make something bad. I mean, look at the Star Wars prequels. They had some splendid actors in there, but it was an yeah. issue with the source material. As for the, as for the nature of Chibnall's fandom, I don't really know what you mean by that. And because my opinion is just that he's not a particularly inspired writer. He is sort of doing the same thing as Davis and Moffat, but I actually think part of his problem is he's sort of just recycling stuff they've already done. <laughs> There's so many episodes in the Chibnall run where I just think, well, a bit of that was like Girl in the Fireplace, and a bit of that was like Smith and Jones, and it's like he doesn't really know how to step outside of the model that they've done. I actually would wish he would be more bold. I wish he would be his own fan. Oh, feel- no, but I think, I, I think you... I, I, the only reason I can't accept what you're saying is... I don't think you can accuse Chibnall of not being bold. But when's he been bold at storytelling wise? Well, well, I mean, it depends what you mean by storytelling. But in terms, in terms of the narrative of the Doctor. Oh, so you're going into Timeless Child stuff? The, I mean, the Timeless Child stuff. I mean, that's cli- is- that. That's. I mean, the Timeless Child stuff is, is is what I mean by stuff that's been in Chibnall's head since he was twelve. I suspect he thought of that a long time ago, and well, he's bringing it more- in now. I mean. I actually think the Timeless Child stuff was genius, and the reason I do is because it changes everything and it changes nothing. <laughs> yeah. I, I watched it and it, I found it made absolutely no impact on me whatsoever. It was... I love the idea that there are an unknown number of iterations of the Doctor before the incarnation of the Doctor we thought was the first. It fills a massive plot hole in Classic Who, which I suspect has been bothering Chibnall for longer than it's been bothering me. And I, I, I can only imagine that a very young Chris Chibnall watched The Brain of Morbius and thought, hang on, those are doctors before William Hartnell. How does that work? And that's, that's where all this came from. Sorry, Matt. Well, I always thought that, was, that, that, that would be a kind of a given, wouldn't it? As soon as they, as soon as they recast the Doctor the first time round, then then this then that immediately changes the, the mythology for the better yeah well sort yeah but that morbius thing is not a plot hole because they could just be morbius's of the incarnations that was that depends on your interpretation of the brain of morbius and that was never my interpretation of the brain of morbius but yeah okay. <laughs> i can see i can see that you so go that I, way i should clarify i'm not massively offended by this whole timeless child thing where it's like oh there's loads of it and that's not my problem and, I, and you are right, there are fans who are taken against it because it's not their headcanon. And you are right. But I'm with Steve on this. It didn't have much of an effect on me because, like you said, it changes nothing. It's like, well, what's the... I don't get... It's not like in Forest of the Dead when the Doctor meets a woman and she whispers his name to him and he knows, oh, my God, that's my future wife. That's massive in a science fiction sense. I don't know how it really changes 
don't know. It just feels like it just changes nothing. So I'm a bit like meh. I can't. I can't really comment on on the later Doctor Who's because I haven't really uh, watched any. But, uh, but obviously, I, I understand it. Um, but I'd, I'd just quite like to bring up a point about the nature of of how we absorb these types of um, of uh, science fiction and fantasy. Um, in that, I think that um, fandom sometimes is is kind of a, a a bit of a problem. In that, obviously, people create these. Oh, Matt's frozen. Matt, I've lost you. Okay, just for clarity, at this point, we sort of lost Matt. Uh, but then we got him back. So, that was good. Anyway. Hello, okay. Matt, you're back. I can hear you uh, now, you're back. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Okay, okay. go back to your um, original point, mate. Yeah, okay, so um, the uh, the idea that, that fans themselves have become a little bit of a problem for the, for the, for the genre of science fiction and fantasy. And what, what I mean by that is, uh, sorry, is, is everyone still there? I keep getting weird blue things coming. Oh, I'm still screen. here. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. We're yeah, still, okay. still here. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. All right. What I, What I mean by that is, and I'm just going to jump back onto Star Wars, but not about Star Wars specifics. Just about the the way that I consumed it as a child. My father didn't buy uh, a VCR uh, until I was about seventeen, I think, something like that. Ooh, so, poor so child. when, yeah. So, so when I saw Star Wars, I saw a double bill of Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back at the Putney Odeon in 1980. I saw Return of the Jedi in 1983. And apart from the odd time that it was on at Christmas, that was it. That was the only Star Wars I got. So, so to combat that, my, uh, my mother and grandmother bought me the novelizations of the first three films. So for, so for a, a, a hell of a long time, um, all I had to work on within the Star Wars universe were these three books and my imagination. And there was so much backstory that, that was uh, just alluded to um in in the books to do with uh anakin and obi-wan and their relationship and this kind of stuff that by the time the prequels came out i'd i'd invented in my own mind a, a vision of what exactly that was going to be so when the prequels were released of course it didn't meet up with my expectations or the story or the or the look or the tone or the feel of it that i had in my head and i think that is is got to be the same for um star trek fans and for doctor who fans as well in that I think we're all capable of, of, of uh, uh, we're, we're drawn to these kind of things because of the uh, scope for imagination that we have. And that, that when uh, storylines and movies are, um, and television shows are released that don't adhere to the versions that we have in our heads, much like in the way that the shark in Jaws is scarier because you don't see it, we use our own imagination. I think um, uh, the the much more uh, um, community kind of fan base that we have now has has become a bit of an issue. You simply cannot please all of the people all of the time, okay. and yeah, and, and and I think that I think it's great that more and more people are having having a go at these kind of things. But they are kind of precious these all, all of these all of these genres, which is why I wish, it, certainly in the case of Star Wars. And, uh, and, and, and for you, Aiden, with Doctor Who, that they would just take a little bit more care of it. Yeah. Yep, no arguments I, I think that I, I think that's absolutely right. And I think that's probably where my biggest issue now comes with, with, with episode nine of Star Wars, is they went somewhere bold with The Last Jedi. And then they quickly backtracked to kind of go, oh, people didn't like that. Let's try and please everybody again. <sighs> it would, I would have had more. And as you said, it, as you said, Reggie, it was a cowardly move. I would have had a yeah. lot more respect if they went, no, this has changed. We're going to carry on going with that yeah, change. Definitely. And, it's going to, 
It's going to take you to places that you might be uncomfortable with, that you might not like, but this is the journey that we're going on. And right. that's Change I would good. Yeah, I would much rather see, and I think, and to, to some degree, I think that's where Picard fell down. It looked like it was actually going in that direction where it was going to change, and then at the end, it didn't. It just I, went, actually, no, oh, let's, interesting. let's what, what happened with it? Because I, I gave up after about four episodes. Me too. I gave up too. Yeah, I gave up. I, yeah. Do you know what? I'm, and I'm, I'm astonished with myself. Because Me too. I really resent, I'm a bookseller. I really resent giving money to Amazon. They're an evil company that is putting people like me out of business, hand over fist. So I don't like yeah. giving money. I maintained my Amazon Prime subscription so that I could watch Picard. And I gave up. I would watch Sir Patrick Stewart read the phone book out loud. I think he is astonishing. Until very recently, I had never seen a thing that he'd been in that I didn't like. I like him in Dune. Oh, he's great yeah. in Dune. For goodness yeah. sake. Great film, kind of. Gurney, Gurney Halleck in Dune, and, he's brilliant. Yeah. And I love the character of Jean-Luc Picard. I always have. Same here. But... I just couldn't get into Picard. It was just it. I don't know what it's lacking, but it's not. Really it's poor. The dialogue's poor. Doesn't make sense. They try to recreate something that you cannot recreate. The next generation was, was is again with Star Wars. It was so of its time. Mm. It was so nineties. It's ridiculous. It's thirty but years I, old. But I yeah. don't think Picard is trying to set out to do the new next generation. It's trying to do something different. Um, and in a way, I kind of liked that they had new characters, new events that had taken place that we hadn't seen. But then they had to kind of backfill and then bring it all to sort of say, oh, this is how it happened and this is what happened. But it begs the question, why bring back Picard in the first place then? Because it was interesting. Because it was interesting. It didn't need to be. It could have been somebody else. It could have just been a new, mm-hmm. a new TV show. It didn't need to be Picard. It could have right. been anybody coming out of oh, retirement. I think if it hadn't been Picard, it wouldn't have happened. If, if Patrick Stewart had said, oh, I don't want to do that. Absolutely. It wouldn't have happened. I think, I think for that one, it was down to the fact that they were trying to squeeze too many things into one season in case they didn't get a second season. Right. And I think what they should have done is maybe slow it down a little bit. Like the Mandalorian did. Like the Mandalorian did. And there's, at one point, you've got, I think, four potential villains in, in Picard. And it's mm. like, who, 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 who am I actually following? Who is actually the, the main threat? Who's the bad guy? And then when Picard ends up taking almost a sideline in his own show, and then suddenly other characters are actually having doing more of the adventure work and doing more of the things. And then, and this is this is a spoiler. They they bring in this this health condition that Picard's got. They mention it in the, in a couple. I think the opening two episodes. It's never then discussed again until the last or the second to last episode. And it's just like he's got this condition that is going to kill him. And then suddenly, big spoiler he dies they reverse what happened to him and they've basically now given him a new healthy android body but it doesn't have any of the benefits of being an android body it's basically they've got rid of whatever was wrong with him and it's just like so, what so was the whole, 
It was the whole point of it. There was no point whatsoever. That's like what Red said about Doctor Who. They changed everything and nothing. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Also, in reference to Doctor Who, that's actually quite a lot like Ryan's dyspraxia. In uh, they, they introduce it and then never they do anything. They introduce it, and then they mention it maybe twice because he has problems climbing ladders. Yeah. But basically, he runs up and down corridors and stuff just like everybody else does. And I get why they did it, but if you're going to do something like that, you have to be consistent with it. And there are lots of things that Ryan does that would be really, really hard for someone with dyspraxia to do. Yeah. Certainly, somebody with dyspraxia is seriously enough to stop them riding a bike, which is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Ryan just doesn't because it's in the script. And if you're going to introduce an element like that and then not do anything with it, don't introduce the element. Yeah, yeah. It's a very very interesting point. And what you're basically saying is that the writers have a responsibility to to really understand the universe in which they're working in. Yeah. And also their own ideas. Or at least least the showrunner does, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hang on one second, guys. Sorry, Aiden. Oh, I'm going to go. While we're in broad agreement, I'm, gonna go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting a new job tomorrow. And, um, uh, yeah, I should go and shower and go to bed. Nice to see you again, Matt. Nice to see you both. Thank you, Aidan. Yeah, Best absolutely. of luck with the job. When, uh, as I was saying to them earlier, Matt, I'm now in North Yorkshire again. So when it's lockdown splendid. ends, we all go for a jar of beer. And discuss- I would very much enjoy that, yeah. <laughs> as would I. <laughs> on a, nice. Um, guys, on, on a related subject, I'm also going to have to go. Um, and it's been, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, Aiden, it's been wonderful to see you again, man. And, uh, and uh, if the opportunity arises, I'd love to jump in again, because we clearly will have a lot to talk about. We've all got opinions. Matt, as the showrunner, you are always welcome, mate. Thank you. Can, can Thank we you so much. Pleasure to meet can, you. Please, can we call this episode four middle-aged white guys complaining about geekdom? Because that's <laughs> yourself. I'm not middle-aged. I am. <laughs> Four nearly middle-aged white guys. Nearly. <laughs> Three nearly. middle-aged white guys and a slightly younger middle-aged white guy. <laughs> well, I've started to get the age of 44, <laughs> so I'm fighting it. But if you haven't seen Community, definitely go see Community. That's that's I a typical message. I will. And, uh, and, and Rick and Morty uh, as well. Oh, yeah. yes. New Rick and Morty is astonishingly good. Oh, absolutely brilliant. Is that one of the things you've got to watch in the beginning? Yes. Well, you get to know it's not a ongoing plot, but it gets increasingly mal mad. So you might need to watch some early ones because if you jumped into last night's episode, oh yeah. gosh, yeah, fucking insane. <laughs> just the most meta thing you've ever seen in your life. Yeah, it sounds. It does actually sound right up my alley, and it's had nothing but good reviews. So I'll, I'll have to dip in. Cool. I'm off. Bye, guys. Brilliant. Bye. Right, yeah. he's gone. Yes. Um, oh God, it, I can see you, Matt. Yay! Oh, look, hello. This is the first time I've seen you all night. Hello. Hi. This is what I look like. <laughs> so I mean, you. I'm, I'm I'm happy for if 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 you guys are to to, to wrap up here. Okay, that is indeed where we left it. Thank you for your kind attention. Uh, if you want to take issue with anything or indeed everything we said, you can hit us up on the Geeks at the Gates Facebook page. Uh, we do also have a Twitter, but don't tweet us. I've lost the password. I can't remember what it is. 
and I can't remember the last time I checked the Twitter account. So, if you've been tweeting us, we're not not ignoring you exactly, we just don't know that you're there. So, sorry about that. Uh, we will be back next week. With what, I am not entirely sure. It's probably going to be some more D&D. We have the next um, campaign recording set up for Monday, as I speak to you now. It might be more Doctor Who discussion, because breaking news in the world of the Geeks at the Gates, Alice has finished Doctor Who. Uh, so we can get stuck straight into those discussions now and don't have to worry about me spoiling things by forgetting when they happened. Uh, we're not quite sure what we're corrupting Alice with next. I think it might have to be Buffy. Uh, which, did I tell you this, is available from the 1st of June on all four. You can stream the whole... If you missed Buffy, you can stream the whole of it, all of it, for free on all four. How cool is that? But for now, that's definitely it from us. So we'll see you next week. Until then, be kind to yourself, be kind to everybody else, and take great care. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Geeks at the Gate podcast. us on Facebook at facebook.com slash geeks at the gate or contact us on Twitter at geeks at the gates or contact us by email on mail for geeks at the gates at gmail.com that is the number four not the word geeks at the gates is a production of Venus Rising Media and is proudly made in Yorkshire <laughs>